April 7th. And after a uh, extended break, we're back with another Kentucky Politics Weekly. I'm your host, Trey Watson, joined as always by Stephanie Steitzer-Holscher. Stephanie, how was your uh, your Easter and spring break week? Uh, well, I survived solo parenting while my husband went skiing and my kids were home. And uh, I mean, I barely survived that. And now I just feel like the pound of butter that I consumed over the the weekend with all of the Easter candy and treats and pies. And uh, so feeling a little buttery today. Yeah, well, you know, my, my whole family now, <laughs> except for the kids, of course, are vaccinated. So we, we went up to, to see uh, my mom and, and stepdad in Pennsylvania. And uh, on Tuesday, it was 65 degrees and we were playing on on the sandy beach at the lake at their uh, at, at the place to live it up in the mountains and on uh thursday it was about 25 and snowed three and a half inches <laughs> so uh we were we were a lot more sedentary and stuck inside than we thought we would be which was uh which made it especially you know not not the place where they have all their normal toys and not as much space uh it was it was a little it was a little cramped i think my wife experienced all four seasons yes my wife was very <laughs> very ready to leave by uh saturday night <laughs> left Sunday morning. Yes, uh, she, she may have mentioned that uh, the trip was possibly a couple of days longer than it should have been. <laughs> it wouldn't have been as bad if we could have gotten that and done stuff, yeah, but it was just, absolutely. it was, it was rough. Um, anyway, we are, we are back. And by the way, just, uh, we're recording this at 10 15 on a uh, Wednesday morning. And I'm uh, monitoring the, the, the Twitters while we record. And uh, Andy Bashir is doing bill signings right now. Uh, so we might mention that as we as we roll along, he's actually about to sign House Bill 574, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but lo- lots lots of got on since last uh, since last we spoke, Stephanie. Uh, legislature came back. I guess Bashir vetoed a whole bunch more stuff. I don't think we need to go into what what he vetoed because it, literally everything got overridden. Um, so it's it's not really of importance. Um, but we could talk about stuff that happened. On the uh, on the last day of session, uh, always a busy day. I know you as a former reporter, that's it's always the day you plan on being in Frankfurt till midnight and uh, in session, and then writing until probably two in the morning or so. Um, God, it's it's exhausting just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they, they had a busy day. Um, I think the, the the four biggest things to come out of that final day were. Uh, the passage of the election reform bill, which we had Secretary Adams on to talk about. Um, I don't, I don't believe there were any changes to it. They, they just had some kind of procedural issues on getting it past that that last day before the veto session. So that thing passed. Um, liability coverage, uh, which I know a lot of business uh, Republicans were mad that didn't pass earlier. That passed. Um, I, I that's the one I don't know what Bashir will do with it. My gut tells me he may pocket sign it which if you don't know what that means you know in some some places some states have laws and and the federal government in fact has uh, works this way where you can pocket veto something um if you don't sign it you have to take a proactive action for it to become law you have to sign it in kentucky it's reverse we have a uh you have you have to take a proactive action to veto you can po- basically pocket sign it where you don't sign it, you don't have a, a ceremony, um, you don't, you know, you don't put your name on it, but it, it becomes law unless you take a proactive action to veto it. My, my gut tells me that maybe that's where Senate Bill Five ends up. Um, I, I, I can't see Bashir signing it, but 
I think also the business community would be very, very angry if he were to veto it. Um, if you don't know what this does, this protects businesses from uh, certain businesses from lawsuits uh, that claims someone contracted COVID-19 at their place of business. Uh, as long as the, the, the business was following proper COVID-19 guidelines, it also protects manufa- manufacturers, especially the bourbon industry and, and, and beer, beer brewers who switch pro- uh, production to hand sanitizers. Uh, early on in the process, if you recall, there was a whole bunch of controversy there. Um, that that bill passed. I think you know Chad McCoy, love Chad McCoy, uh, but he is a trial lawyer. Made some statements. Where he he uh, was unhappy with how it expanded some unity of employees, agents, or representatives of the state or any of its political subdivisions. Um, and so the second part of this bill is absolutely unconstitutional. You know, I, I think he kind of laid out a veto path that Bashir wanted to veto it. Um, my gut tells me, though, that, that he, he just lets it become law without signing it. Sounds good. Um, and also, <laughs> thank you, Stephanie. That's, they don't call them, I, I'm so they, they, over the legislature. I'm so sorry. I can't even fake it. I don't call it the best color, color, color commentator and podcast for nothing, folks. Um, the no-knock no warrant bill uh passed a little bit watered down but you know it's 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 something i think even attica scott said she wasn't real happy with it but she did vote for it by this so yeah so attica scott i mean that I, you know i'd love to have a conversation with her sometime maybe she's a potential guest uh if she if she would come on uh to our show i'd love to have a conversation with her about it she that had to be a really really difficult decision you know i mean the activist community was really, really unhappy with that bill and just the overall treatment of her. They wouldn't give her bill a hearing. Um, but you on the other side, you had the ACLU, which uh, also held their nose and supported it. Uh, but then in Lexington, um, uh, Kelly Flood and uh, our other uh, representative here, they voted against it. So um, I thought that was sort of interesting the way it played out. You know, I, I think I think we talked about this in the podcast. I don't, I don't know if we talked about the podcast or just you and I have talked about it over the years. You know, immigration is the one issue that did to me stands out most with this with this uh, phenomenon. But you, you have to make a decision at some point is can we should we go ahead and fix the stuff that we can agree on and try to work on the harder stuff later? Or do you hold up the easy stuff? And in interest of doing it all at once, you know, we, we could have 95% of our country's immigration problems fixed. If when Obama was president, he laid down the law, he said, I will veto any bill that is not comprehensive, that doesn't deal with all of it. We had had 95% of it fixed right now. If, if he hadn't made that statement and, and that's, and I'm not saying he was wrong to make it. Maybe he was right. I don't know. Cause maybe down the, down the line, it will, it will result in, in the 5% that we don't agree on, which frankly, Democrats internally don't agree with each other on, you know, maybe eventually taking a hard line will result in, in something that, 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 that covers everything. But I personally, I, I would rather fix the 95% that we agree on so that those people who are affected can be helped and we can work on the, on, on the 5% later. I, I think, my gut tells me that's kind of what happened here is Atticus Scott said, you know, it's not a great, it's not a perfect bill. It's not even a great bill, but it, it does some stuff and it's better than nothing. And it's going to help my community some today. So I'm going to have to vote for it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It was interesting. Um, and didn't they tack something on at the last minute that was actually a, a big plus for the police? Um, it had to do with who could execute no knock warrants. And and as John Blanton's amendment, uh, uh, I love John and he, and he's, he's a very strong voice for kind of 
Uh, he's a former state policeman, and he, he speaks pretty strong words for rural law enforcement because they they do have they deal with different things, different cases, uh, and, and different uh, difficulties than people in Louisville and Lexington. And so he tagged on a amendment that that changed how in the rare instances that you can use no knock warrants, who can execute them in rural areas, just because they don't, they didn't, some, some counties don't have access to the, uh, to, to the type of, of units that would, that the bill originally required to be able to execute them when they would be called for. And I think John's bill just opened it up to where it made some exceptions where if, if you, if you don't have access to that unit, because it just doesn't exist in your jurisdiction, you know, you could, there's, there was another pathway to be able to, to execute one if, if it were to be required. Interesting. Which, you know, I could see the activist community being frustrated with that. I, you know, if I'm in a rural area, I'm saying, well, yeah, we don't have a freaking, you know, mobile SWAT team like Louisville's got. We got to, <laughs> we, we need, we need, we need, a, 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 you know, we, we, we're, we're different and we need, we need a path to do it too. So, you know, it, it makes sense. Um, you know, like you said, we're all kind of sick of the legislature. I guess the one thing, one last thing to talk about, uh, I loved the lead into uh, Dan DeRocher's piece, uh, had a piece of Kentucky allocated half its federal stimulus money, where will the rest go? And, you know, we talked about it ad nauseum for about two weeks. The podcast, Stephanie, that the original budget didn't spend any of the two point four billion in stimulus money, and uh, uh, the lead to Dan Drosher's story after the budget passes, when Kentucky lawmakers learned they would be receiving more than two point four billion in federal stimulus money, imagination started running. It was the legislative budgeting equivalent of winning the lottery, an unexpected windfall, and they didn't even have to do the dirty work of raising taxes. I love how they get attacked for not spending the money in the original budget. And when they do spend the money, it's like, oh, it's a legislature rushing to spend all the money, just like those get it. It's like, what? what? You, you attacked them last week for not spending it. <laughs> but they, they did spend about half the money. Um, let me pull up the article I got here on it. Uh, you know, a, mo- a lot of it is going to longer term uh, existing needs. Like we talked about, it's going, going to... Uh, uh, drinking water and wastewater infrastructure. It's going to broadband. It's going to some school stuff. Uh, about $250 million on construction and renovation projects. Uh, and, and they're only spending half, which, you know, I think that's probably the right way. Oh, and they're, and they're repaying the unemployment debts and fully funding full day kindergarten statewide, which you know, if you live in Louisville, Lexington, you're like, well, I thought everybody already had that. Oh, I mean, and- that's crazy. It's crazy to me that in 2021, we're, this was even something not like standard. This it's, is just crazy. I, I tweeted after it passed praise for the legislature, legislature <laughs> for doing it because I, you know, when I, when I worked for Billy Harper and I had to give all of Billy's Lincoln day dinner speeches for him, um, I, I had a, a note card I kept in my, in my sport coat uh, pocket and it had the three talking points where I, you know, I'm not one who gets up and gives a writes down a speech and gives it or, and, and they trusted me enough to not, you know, have to approve a draft where I had to read off a speech. I was able to, I was allowed to get up and, and give a speech for Billy. Cause it's something I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm decent at getting up and just talking. And I had three talking points. And as long as I w- somehow wove my speech through those three talking points, then I, I'd know what I'd, I, I done well. And number, number one talking point was invest in early childhood education, education. That, that was Billy's number one thing. Um, because he said, you know, if you don't have these kids, if you, if you haven't hooked them and done right by them by the fourth grade, you've lost them. You're not going to get them back. And B- Billy in 2007 was talking about full, full funding for full day kindergarten. And the fact that we're just now getting around to it in uh, 2021 is, is amazing. Uh, you know, we should be talking about fully funding pre-K. 
but yeah, <laughs> we just did, we just did full day kindergarten. Um, so you know, that's, that's a, a great thing. Um, we're repaying the unemployment insurance loan we took out, which had to be done. Uh, and you know, but we've still got half the, half the money left to left to play with, which I, I, you know, as I've said multiple times, I think it's prudent that we save as much as we can and see how we can, uh, you know, multiply that money. We're working with county, state, uh, and city government or county and city governments and, uh, figuring out how we can layer money on top where we can apply for grants to get, uh, to get extra money or matching funds and, and, and to do some big things. I'm glad that they spent, uh, some, I'm glad that they didn't spend it all. So, uh, I, you know, I think that, and, and Bashir, by the way, during the, the press conference, he said he's re- referring to his bill. He said he was really proud of Kentucky. Uh, so, you know, I, I think everybody's fairly happy with where that, where the budget ended up at. Yeah, that that's a this is a no brainer. Um, let's see. You're moving along. By the way, Bashir just uh, signed the election reform bill, and said uh, said uh, da, 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 where was the quote? I just saw it. Say he's really uh, sorry. That's uh, while some states have stepped in a different direction. I'm very proud of Kentucky. So, uh, election reform bill is signed. Uh, the press conference going on right now uh we're kind of moving beyond the legislature uh we'll stick in frankfurt for a minute kentucky police training materials we've talked about this before stephanie the uh that was uncovered great reporting work by a bunch of high schoolers at manual uh turns out the the video clips that were in the in the uh uh in, in the state police training materials were actually plucked from a uh very f- flagrantly white supremacist video <laughs> by a white supremacist like production company called renegade films uh and they they just kind of clipped out six minutes of a 32 minute video to 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 be part of this and the guy who made it who's paid apparently paid forty four thousand dollars a year he's just kind of a, a you know a, a schmo low-level employee he was like i didn't even know it was a it was a racist video i just pulled the clips out it's like dude you can't <laughs> if you're why research- are you why are you even starting your research there yeah i mean like, if, if you like, re- that's my question if you read well i mean it, it was about like dealing with 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 drug uh you know fight, fighting the drug epidemic and it, he did pull it from a video it's called america's manufactured opioid crisis hidden history of heroin pushers which i guess if you like google or, or look up look up on youtube that that comes up uh but like when you read some of the other stuff that's in it, like literally as soon as the segment that they used in the training video ends, like what, right where they clipped it immediately after that, it starts talking about Jewish gangsters and how like, so when some old school Italian mafiosos may have called object, uh, while some old school Italian mafiosos may have had some objections to selling heroin, Jewish gangsters did not Jews dominated the, the, the drug business in New York. I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> Clearly, there's some problems in the state police program. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what to say about it. Is how did you land on this website? Like, I it's just I, I can't I can't buy. Well, he, the well, he, notion. Pulled, he, he pulled it out of YouTube. He didn't pull it off their website apparently. So, but I I'm, just I just can't buy the notion. And and if he's and if this team of of people who were putting together training for law enforcement are that dumb and, and deficient. In, in unable to do uh, solid research, like 
what does that say about the rest of the training that, that we're putting on people who, you know, are, are supposed to serve and protect? Yeah, it's not uh, not a good look for the state police. We'll, we'll put no, it and I and I really think that this speaks to a need for uh, a, a probably a top down uh, comprehensive review of all the training. And I hope that's happening as part of this, not just these training videos, but any any and all training material uh, that that gets put in front of law enforcement in Kentucky. And let's not just stop at DOCJT. Let's Let's continue on because, you know, Lexington and Louisville do their own training. Um, we, we have to understand, I mean, because if you want to, you know, we talked about the, the no-knock warrant issue. Um, the reality is that if, if we don't have material in place at the very beginning when these recruits walk in the door, um, then it's, it's so much harder to fix something that's broken rather than um, building it well from the ground up. It's no, no different than investing in early childhood education. Same, right. same theory. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's just a mess. Um, and, and, you know, some, I mean, you, you know, some of it from your time in the auditor's office. I know some of it from, from a varying degree of political involvements. There has been long time issues inside the state police on a, on a, on a whole varying degree of level. Some of them are, are, due to political appointments some of them are due to longer uh longer standing issues like there's that's yeah that, mean, that, 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 that's, this... that's that's a, that's a bigger untold story in the state is is, is issue, structural issues inside the state police absolutely um you know a lot of this is a lot of this transcends politics i mean it's politics but it's not party politics right i mean some of this uh, some of these issues have, have plagued Republican and Democratic governors in the last 20 years uh, alike because, you know, KSP has really sort of, um, you know, created a very insular uh, bureaucracy. It is somewhat um, pr- protective of, of, you know, a lot of um, oversight and things that happen in other agencies. And, and that is a part of the problem as well. Oh, I, I remember when they were spitting mad. We met with them in 07 on the Harper campaign. They were spitting mad at Fletcher because of the, the, the that was before they had merged the vehicle enforcement unit into the state police. And there was a whole, whole fight over that. And Fletcher kind of sided with the vehicle enforcement department. And, and they were like, yeah, we'll endorse anybody but him for, for governor. <laughs> Look, I mean, you like to rail a lot on the teachers unions uh, and, and there's, you know, weaknesses there. Some of the, what you say, I, I don't totally disagree with, but I think some of those same issues can be said um, in law enforcement, right? Um, you know, when you've got these powerful um, and somewhat downright arrogant FOPs um, and willingness to protect all of the bad eggs, uh, some of these issues um, uh, continue to persist and it's a problem. I love law enforcement. Okay. I have friends in law enforcement. Um, but I've also worked closely with law enforcement on some projects over the years. And what I can say to you that even many in law enforcement will concede is that law enforcement get real irritated when non-law enforcement try to tell them, uh, how they might do their jobs better. Um, they don't want to be uh, accountable to anybody not in law enforcement. And that is a problem. Speaking of unions, Stephanie, uh, 
story I forgot to put on a list to talk about today that happened while we were, while we were on break. Yes, I uh, can't believe you almost. Uh, well, yeah, one 120 Strong has, um, has morphed from 120 Strong into the Kentucky branch of the Amer- uh, American Federation of Teachers Unions. So, you know, really what, what our kids need, Stephanie, is a, another layer of <laughs> labor organization uh, in, in public schools. Uh, we just, you know, my first grader really just does not have enough union involvement in his day-to-day life. I, I'm so glad that they did this because it's it's going to improve our children's education, Stephanie. It's, it's I mean, this is what our kids needed to move Kentucky up the ladder for best uh, best best uh, public public school systems in the country is 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 another layer of representation in Frankfurt. That's that's that that is what we needed. This is going to solve the problems. In all seriousness, I'm you know what's fascinating to me is watching this. Um, what I've watched, I feel like somewhat on the sidelines play out, and I I don't fully understand it. You probably understand it better than I do. Is um, it, it seems like some of this kind of came about uh, because there's maybe been some discontent by um, some of these 120 strong folks with maybe some of the existing um, teacher union structure and, well, and, and leadership. And they, and they would say, they, they say the KEA is not technically a union. It's an, it's an association, which, right. Which is frankly is it's a difference in paperwork. It's, it's, it's a union, but yeah, you know, it reminds me of the, sh- of the, uh, of the split between um, the NRA and I forget what the, what the name has been merged to now, but for years it was the Gunners of America. You had the, N- the NRA and the, and, and the, uh, and, and the GOA and the NRA had a, they were very, they understood the legislative process and they were very keen on protecting incumbents because they knew, you know, it doesn't make sense to tilt at windmills because it's just going to send you back pissed off at them and they're, and you're going to be aggressive against them. Whereas, you know, if you kind of play the middle a little bit, uh, you, you can, you can make some friends and maybe have somebody who doesn't, doesn't, doesn't help you, but doesn't necessarily actively want to hurt you. I, I think that some of the one train strong people felt like the KEA did too, too much footsie with people in the middle. And well, I felt like they were even more upset with JCTA, right? Uh, I don't know. I mean, the, artic- the articles that I've, that I've read refer to KEA. I know, I know they're mad at KEA cause they wouldn't pull their endorsement of, of, uh, go forth. Right, and I think they're upset with JCTA because of Nemus. Because of Nemus, yep. Um, but yeah, but, but there, there's there's a larger technical issue, and one, one thing that I don't know is, you know, if I'm a teacher, unless the unless the AFT Kentucky chapter is going to do one thing, I, if I'm a teacher, I ain't joining because I'm not paying two dues. You know, the KEA their their big stick to swing is the liability in, uh, coverage. You know, right. Every teacher's got has to have liability coverage um that's actually where cape which is kind of the more conservative version of the kea their liability coverage actually is, is considerably cheaper they just they have a much smaller membership and kea swings things a lot bigger stick and is a little aggressive on on getting people to join and pay the dues on you know in in the in the classroom but you you, ha- you have to have that coverage so you're pretty much forced into joining one of these groups is is aft going to offer that coverage um, because if not, I, I could see them having a hard time recruiting members. Because why the hell are you gonna pay dues to both the KEA and AFT? It's just it's, you know, and, and that's more that's more of a, a kind of a technical thing on the back end. But you know that that's why people join the KEA is because they got to have that liability coverage, and 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 it's cheaper to get it through a, a group policy with KEA or CAPE than it is to go out and get it on your own. 
I mean, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, I think back to uh, something I heard Obama say recently. I know your eyes are going to roll out of the back of your head, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, he talked about, I mean, because Obama is often um, beaten up uh, in the activist community, right? Because he didn't, he wasn't progressive enough. He wasn't, and, and he talks a lot about, you know, you need, um, you need activists and you, to, to push you far and you need, but you need policymakers. And, and I don't know about the due situation, uh, but it does feel to me that, you know, maybe they can find a way to work in somewhat harmony K-E-A-J-C-T-A and um, AFT 120 strong in terms of, you know, if, if, if 120 and AFT continue to be, you know, the more sort of politically active, um, more progressive fighting, you know, side of it where KEA and JCTA can kind of provide that association structure and sort of work with policymakers. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe there's room for for all of these organizations. I see that outcome as the least likely. Yeah, I know. I'm just being. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, COVID news. Uh, here, at least in Fayette County, we are down to a, a, a seven-day average of 25 new cases. And they actually, uh, when I was in line dropping, uh, fell off at school this morning. They said this will be the last day that they have, have to do temperature checks, dropping the kids off at school, which, I, you know, my, my wife, it's just like those things are useless anyways. You can just you, you can you can you can put an ice cube to your head or you can stand under a lamp and change the change the temperature. Uh, but the uh, the temperature checks going away because the cases of fake County are doing well. Yeah, you know, I have mixed feelings on this this particular issue. Uh, totally agree with your wife. Also agree, you know, and we know from from what we've learned about COVID over the year that you can have COVID and not have a fever. Uh, and you've got all kinds of issues with, you know, like you said, people skirting uh, the temperature and, and, and also inaccurate um, temperature checks. On the flip side, you know, long before COVID, we've had a big problem and we could talk about the root sources of this problem. But we have a big problem of people sending their kids to school really, really sick, people going to work really, really sick. And that is how we spread uh, illnesses. Um, now it's it becomes issues related to child care and not people not having paid time off and whatnot. But um, I'm not so sure that like having some residual, um, you know, wellness checks before kids go into school is not a bad thing. And, and I love the way my kid's school does it because it's very, uh, it's very distinct, right? I was terrified at first. Uh, I mean, like right now, my kids have a little cough and a little runny nose. It's probably allergies or maybe it's a little cold. Um, but the, the, the waiver I have to fill out every morning uh, my husband was shocked one day. He's like, you can't send the kids to school like this. You're going to think they have COVID. I said, no. I said, if you read the waiver, uh, this absolutely uh, does not fit the bill for what they're looking for. They're, they don't, you can have a cough, but it specifically says you cannot have an uncontrollable cough. It says nothing about running noses, right? They're looking for the things that indicate like real, uh, sicknesses. And, and this year, you know, there was, uh, they cut out the stomach virus. Um, they cut out like, uh, the, the pink eye and some of these other things that, you know, usually spread, uh, rampant through our schools. I mean, 
So I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's temperature checks are too onerous, but um, I hope that as we go forward coming out of this pandemic, uh, we can keep a few of these things to, to keep truly sick kids and sick parents for that matter at home. No, somebody healthy. Somebody with, with, with a kid who's got all sorts of allergies and has a runny nose like 300 something days out of the year. Yeah. We, we we're constantly concerned they're going to send him home because he's got, <laughs> he's got some sort of, some sort of allergy related thing. Uh, so, uh, you know, some of that's good, but yeah, I agree. Pe- people need to be more smart just in general about keeping the kids home from school. That's why we, that's why we don't have the flu issues that we've had. Yep. Mass, is the, the mask wearing and people staying at home when they may be sick. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just common sense. Uh, you know, hopefully COVID will lead to, to more, more common sense in the state. Um, uh, Stephanie, we were talking before the, before we started taping Fayette County, uh, well, I think it's in Woodford County and Pike County lead in the state in percentage of people uh, vaccinated. A quarter of our Fayette County population, adult population, has had both um, shots. Uh, I think this is fantastic. And they're, uh, what, Moderna, is it Moderna or Pfizer is now approved for people down the age of 12? And uh, I know that they're currently uh, testing all the vaccines on children down as, as, as old as three or four years old. Um, I don't know why I signed our boys up to be in, in a trial if one pops up in Lexington. Um, so, you know, we're getting to where literally everybody, you know, usually right now we talk about everybody has access to it. It's we're talking about adults, uh, but we're, we're getting close to the point where we can we can have literally everybody vaccinated. The other piece of big uh, good news that came out last week is vaccinated people can't transmit to unvaccinated people. I breathed, I personally breathed a huge, huge sigh of relief. Uh, that that was sort of a, a, a mental game changer for me and sort of a behavioral game changer, um, you know, about the things that vaccinated people can do and not worry about uh, somehow, you know, Un- unknowingly catching it and spreading it to to kids or other people who have you know not been able to get the vaccine yet. I think notable at, at an event in Lexington on Monday, uh, our senior senator Mitch McConnell uh, had a quote. He said, "I saw on some program last week that Republican men, curiously enough, might be reluctant to take the vaccine. I'm a Republican man, and I want to say to everyone, we need to take this vaccine." Uh, which to which the White House actually uh, retweeted a uh, or quote tweeted an ABC News uh, piece, ABC tweet with that uh, that quote and said, Senator McConnell is right. And we thank him for his leadership. It's important every American do their part and get vaccinated when it's their turn. Yeah, this is how it's supposed to work in a situation like this, that we're all Americans pushing the ball together. Uh, so good job, Senator McConnell and good job, White House, for promoting it. Hashtag bipartisanship, <laughs> I guess. Um, on to, <laughs> let's move on from that to national news, Stephanie. Uh, you have a few Kentucky things, if I could bounce oh, yeah, that. I can't believe I almost forgot. Um, because I'm about to uh, become a UK student in the fall, I've started uh, uh, picking up and reading the Kentucky Colonel a little bit more. Um, and totally, this got missed. Uh, big, big court win for him. Huge huge Supreme Court of Kentucky ruled um, unanimously in favor of the student newspaper, which was sued by uh, 
the university. I mean, this whole case was wild, right? Um, it, it all stemmed, uh, this happened like five years ago, this legal battle started over a sexual misconduct investigation against a former UK press, uh, professor who left the university. And basically to, to sort of boil this all down for folks, um, the university um, wildly, uh, and absurdly attempted to uh, do a blanket um, uh, non-release under uh, trying to, to claim some federal privacy uh, protections for the victims. But it's to be noted that the, that the student newspaper, they asked for, for victims' names to be redacted. They understood it. They already actually knew the names of the victims um, and had never published it. Um, the, the university's legal team got kind of dirty at one point and accused these, the student newspaper folks of, of having malicious intentions. Uh, and, and funnily enough, um, at one point, the victims' names did inadvertently get disclosed publicly by the university's own administration when they failed to redact their names from documents they, they uh, uh, released uh, during um, a board of trustees meeting. <laughs> um, so it, it got so absurd though. I mean, instead of just taking the time to go through the file and redact what was, um, exempt under the federal, uh, privacy, uh, law, they just said, we can't give you any of these records. And this boiled down to include things like a camera user's manual. Um, and so the, the, the Supreme court was, um, I, I didn't, you know, read the full opinion, but it was it was pretty strongly worded um, to the university that like like what you did was like pretty absurd, um, and so this now um, has some ramifications because um, so it's interesting. All of the universities in the state wrote um, amicus briefs in support of UK. All of the um, open records and journalism organizations supported the university or uh, the, sorry, the, the student newspaper. Um, this now is going to have an effect on uh, Western Kentucky University, which had been no, holding so, back. Um, they, they've, they've, dropped, they've dropped a case immediately afterwards. Yep. They had been denying um, records since 2016. Um, you know, they all sort of did this, uh, like I said, under the guise of protecting the sexual assault victims. Um, as folks know, I'm a former journalist and uh, also former uh, consultant for the Kentucky Association of Sexual Assault Programs, um, which advocates for victims of sexual assault. Um, and, you know, this, this, was, um, this was pretty tricky, the whole situation, what was happening. But if you really boil it down, it just, it didn't really make any sense why they were trying to do a blanket um, no release um, and because the ultimate ramification, what, what's really, I get it. Look, I mean, I want to protect victims um, in these situations and their privacy. There's no question about that. Um, victims' um, uh, privacy has um, been an issue in the past when it comes to journalism disclosure and release. And some of the ways are like unwitting. Um, for example, uh, I can recall a situation where um, uh, TV reporters, you know, they had the copy, they had copies of, a, of the police report. They didn't disclose the victim's name, but the address uh, of where the assault happened, which was her home, 
uh, was not redacted. And so they went and literally got B-roll in front of this person's home. Um, so I, so there, this, this can be very, very tricky. But on the flip side of this is why this fight was so important is, you know, much like we saw with the Catholic Church, you know, pushing the priests around and the Boy Scouts, you know, pushing the, the, the abusers into different, you know, um, Boy Scout chapters and clubs or whatever you call it. Um, the, the, the real life ramification of why lay people should care about this is this allows professors or other faculty or staff of universities to commit these um, transgressions and potentially then move to another university and it never be disclosed, right? So, so this is not protective of, of potential future victims um, uh, because this guy was able to move on to another university and nobody really knew what happened. So um, it's a big, big, huge win um, for the Kentucky Colonel um, uh, also somewhat related journalism news, um, huge, huge, huge congratulations to, um, uh, the 2021, um, Kentucky Journalism Hall of Fame, uh, inductees among those, uh, two people, uh, friends of mine, acquaintances of mine, uh, Monica Diaz, who was a longtime, um, journalist for the, um, Kentucky Cincinnati Post, uh, now defunct newspaper from Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati, also my first job out of college. Um, she actually has gone on to become a, uh, rock star first amendment attorney in Kentucky as well as uh, Michael Collins was inducted. Uh, he is a White House reporter um, from, um, from Kentucky, also going to start at the Post, uh, and also a WKU graduate. So um, those are some journalism uh, uh, news bits I have to offer there. There you go. Well, let's talk some national news real quick, Stephanie. Um, I thought we'll, we'll, we'll stick with journalism for a minute because I got I got a bone to pick. You know, there was a 60 Minutes report on Sunday that uh, about Ron DeSantis and attempting to claim that a $100,000 donation that uh, the public grocery store chain made to his campaign, I think I want to say the donation was like 2018. Or, I mean, it, was, it wasn't recent somehow equated to quid pro quo for getting for having publics get the uh, contract to be the main uh, vaccine distribution point in Palm Beach County, Florida. This story has been refuted by everybody from the uh, from the head of the Palm Beach County Commission to the head of I want to say I have to look up the, the position, but it's like the like head of disaster management or something for the state of Florida, which, by the way, that person is a massive liberal whose father is one of the top uh, Democrat fundraising uh, bundlers in the state, state of Florida. All say that this story is 100 percent wrong. 60 Minutes got apparently got creative in their their uh, editing of the video to cut it off and, and restart the, the, the interview with DeSantis at different places. Um it is it, it it's a it's a mess. It is a mess. It's 60 minutes. Here's the it's the uh, Florida Division of Emergency Management I took to Twitter. And this is Jared Motzkowitz, who uh, describes himself as a progressive, served as Democrat in the Florida legislature until 2019, worked in various capacities for Al Gore, Joe Liebman, Barack Obama. And his father's one, one of the top Democrat fundraisers in the state said, uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Publix was recommended by the state emergency response team and Healthy Florida as the other pharmacies were not ready to start, period, full stop. No one from the governor's office suggested public, Publix. It's just absolute malarkey. 
there there's a plague going on among national journalists, Stephanie. And I, I wish these guys would just would would just clean house because there, there are a lot of great journalists working at a local and regional level. And there, there's some good ones still at the national level, but there's a lot of great ones at the state and local level who would do great work nationally. But I feel like these national news organizations <clears throat> have they're they have sold out. They're they're activists. They they become activists in search of clicks. They're, they're, they don't do actual reporting anymore. That was not an actual story. It was false. It was a false story. It, it, nothing in it was accurate. It, 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 so much to go after it, DeSantis for, right? That's yeah. like legitimate. Well, and I've, I've got another one. You know, so the New York Times had a big hit piece on the on the Republican fundraising platform WinRed. And uh, they were attacking it for because there, there's if you haven't used WinRed or the Democrat version Act Blue, which I'll get to in a second, there's there's an option where you can make whatever donation you make a recurring one. Um, and if, when you send the email out to request a donation, you, the, the, the campaign, actively has an option to to pre-check the box for recurring donation where somebody then would have to go and go back in and uncheck it. And the story was about uh, I think it was like sixty eight million dollars that had to be refunded from Trump's campaign yeah. from people who were claiming fraud because it, they, they didn't realize that box had been checked. They had so stories from people who'd given ended up giving five or $6,000 unknowingly because they made, meant to make one donation. It kept, it well, kept it got money. pretty scummy, right? I read the well, story. Well, yeah, but the story, let me get to why I have a problem with it. Uh, when red and act blue operate literally the exact same ways. Um, and when red was, was brought on, brought online in 2018, when uh, Act Blue was started in 2004, I, Act Blue when Red had like a over nationally had like a ten a little bit over ten percent refund rate of donations this year, uh, whereas Act Blue was was like two and a half almost three percent. I would guarantee you, if you go back and you look at the refund rate of donations from Act Blue from 2004 to 2008 or so, I would guarantee you they're roughly similar to what Win Red's. Uh, reimbursement or, or, or refund rate is right now. It's for Republicans. Act Blue has been around since 2004. For Republicans, this is a new technology, which takes time both for the company instituting it to work out the, the kinks and for the user base to understand how it works and to get a familiarity with, with the product, the process. Sure. Okay. This, there may be this, some of that, but, well, look, but, 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 but Stephanie, Stacey Abrams, the email, the fundraising email she sends out, guess what? She has that thing pre-checked. On the Act Blue email, she has a pre-check. This, this is this, this is, this was a hit piece on a on a new Republican fundraising product meant to meant to compete with an ex, with a long-term existing Democrat one that in no way, shape, or form addressed the fact that the Democrat product has the same exact features, used the same exact way. It's the same fucking thing. And I guarantee you, if you went back to 2006, which would be two years after Act Blue came in, I guarantee you their refund rate is damn near similar to what it was this year for WinRed. I guarantee you. Look, but you cannot chalk all of this up to, oh, it's a new technology. They're new with it. I mean, you know, the story drills down and talks about how, you know, they started doing the like, oh, let's bury the little checkbox. Act Blue does that. Let's bury it a little bit more. And then, does that. and then and then all this it's like, but but the refund right now is different. Okay. You can't just chalk this up to like beginner user error. I mean, it's all scummy. And you and I have talked in the past about there's a lot of scummy uh, political consultants uh, out there on both sides of the aisle. And I think that this this kind of thing, whether it's done by the R's or the D's, is scummy and it's 
awful. I, right? I, also, I, I mean, I, I don't like when red or act blue. I, I don't like the, the the idea behind it that you can like, I'm going to donate a hundred dollars and then check, you know, seven candidates and it's going to get divided up between all the, I, I, I just, I don't like the way that that process works, but if the process is going to exist, you can't attack one. You can't attack one side for doing the same thing that the other side's doing. It's just it. It, it was it was hack reporting by the New York Times. It was activist. It was activist reporting. It was activist reporting, attacking one side for the same thing the other side's doing while ignoring the other side's doing it. It, it, it pisses me off so much, and it and it smears the name of the good reporters at both state and national levels who do good work. It smears them on both sides. It 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 makes people distrust the press when you have dishonest partisan reporting portrayed as as real stuff. You know, was it, I think it was CB, uh, CBS News had an article up the other day that was that what what poses opinion piece. It was it was written and tagged as an article that said three things you can do to fight against Georgia's uh, new election laws. That's not an article. It's not reporting. That's an opinion piece. It's an opinion piece. And when you present it as news, you are lying to your readers. It is not news. It is an opinion piece. Stop doing this. You are, you are, if you want to say, well, I, I don't understand why people don't trust the media. It's because of this bullshit. It's so maddening. It is so maddening to, to watch this happen. I mean, look, a lot of that happens. There's no question about it. You know, we, we didn't, I don't think we talked a whole lot about, you know, the, the Biden press conference and just how, I think we talked about that a little bit and how uh, awful I, I that we was. About it, I think we talked about it over text. I, don't know I, I think we, we I think I think what a lot of this boils down to is, you know, is there some of the activism stuff happening? Sure, there is. Uh, I think a lot of what's behind this is like you touched on earlier. It's the clicks. Right. It's the headlines to generate. They they, they don't care about actual reporting. They care about selling ads, which is I mean, that's fine. You're a business. But like, say what you are. There was there was a story in the Herald Leader the other day about like this purported kidnapping and. I mean, the headline was so inflammatory. You would have thought like, you know, a little rich white child had been plucked out of her her white picket fenced in front yard. Uh, I mean, the way this headline screamed. And when you read the story, it was like, oh, like this is a bad situation, but this is not exactly like what the headline suggests. A lot of this is clickbait. We know it. They know it. Um, nobody likes it. It's the model and it should be dispensed with. I think the other big part of this is, you know, and especially at the national level, you know, these, these news organizations, um, it, they pay shamefully, shamefully low amount of money. Right. So, so what you, what you have now is younger and younger because, because, you know, mid-career journalists get out of the game, right. People like me, you know, you get to your mid thirties, late thirties, you've done 10 years in journalism and you're looking around and you're like, my God, I don't want to be like 45 with two kids and get um, laid off with no career prospects. Right. That's why I jumped out uh, when I did. Um, and so what you're end, what you end up with is a lot of very young, very inexperienced uh, reporters covering national news, covering the white house and uh, yeah, and they tend to be more um, activisty. Well, yeah, you're, you're, willing, you're willing to take less money because you get something else out of it, which is you get to push an agenda. Yeah, and uh, so you know that's a big problem. Um, 
because there's just no incentive for for experienced um, seasoned journalists to stay in the game anymore. Well, and there's also um, if you if you go back to the fight of, at the New York Times over the last year and a half or so, there there is a growing feeling among people coming out of jur- journalism school that they have some responsibility to use their platform as journalists to not just report and be honest brokers of the news, but to, but they feel like it's their responsibility to push an agenda, which. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I think that's necessarily true. I mean, I, again, I think you can't paint with the broad brush. Well, I'm just saying every it, one of these journalists are different. It's but been I reported do think, in that fight of the New York Times that, that that that's one of the issues going on in their newsroom specifically. But like we've talked about the issue, right? There's certain reporters, old school reporters, and I'm not going to name names, but <laughs> and there's one at the top of my head who always viewed it as his job to just. I'm going to record. I mean, he thought of himself as basically a stenographer, whatever he says, I'm going to report whatever he says, I'm going to report without any, any shred of, of a, of a feeling that there's an obligation there to look at is one of the people telling blatant untruths that could actually be, you know, uh, disputed with facts, with data, with evidence. Um, So I, I think that, Personally, I like the idea that journalists uh, and, and news organizations are a little bit more gutsy in terms of digging in and saying, okay, so-and-so is saying this, but the facts do not bear that out. But the, um, there's, there's a difference between being an honest broker and being an activist, though. And the problem sure. is you have too many people who are being activists versus versus being a referee and trying to call balls and strikes. If you're not, if you're not going to call balls and strikes the same way for both sides, get the hell out of the way. Yeah, it's it's it is a problem. I mean, oh my gosh, the press conference with Joe Biden was just so bad. Not one single question about COVID. Uh, asked him if he was running for re-election and if Kamala Harris was going to be his running mate. I mean, what in the goddamn hell? Like, why was that a question? Seriously, that, that was that was seriously. Um, we're going to try to keep it keep it somewhat short. So we got a few minutes left. Um, want to get to to Georgia. Uh, that whole thing's been a mess. So, you know, of course, everybody knows if you're listening to this, at least you probably know Georgia's passed new election reform laws. Um, the Washington Post uh, Pinocchio checker has been going nuts, fact checking Democrats nationally who are just flat telling lies about what the what what's in the law. You know, I've said before, I thought the law was was a little bit well, a little bit further right than I would have. Um, but, you know, it wasn't it's certainly not Jim Crow. You know, I mean, let's face it, that is a fundraising line that people are using. Um, and, and and we see the end result of it. Stacey Abrams has begged businesses uh, not to protest Atlanta because of the law, not to protest Georgia because of the law. But once you light that fire, you, you, you can't put the flame out. And, you know, we now see Major League Baseball has moved the All-Star game out of Atlanta, which is so stupid to me because – you know, voters down in, in, in on the Florida Georgia line weren't the ones who who, uh, who who flipped Georgia blue. It's voters in Atlanta and the Atlanta suburbs. I looked at, uh, looked at the Braves Stadium right now is in Cobb County. Cobb County uh, flipped from a I think it was forty seven percent Hillary Clinton to fifty two or fifty three percent Biden uh, County. Uh, Gwinnett is up was uh, up in the upper fifties for uh, for Biden. Uh, Fulton County was heavily Biden. Uh, and that's that's where the money is going to be. You know, that that's where the that's where the 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 finances are in the state of Georgia. You're hurting <laughs> these people by protesting Georgia. Major League Baseball moving out are hurting Democrat voters who oppose this bill. So that's stupid, first of all. But the, the bill just it, 
it isn't what people are saying. It's 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 simply not. And it's funny because Trump came out yesterday with 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 a with an, with an email since he can't tweet anymore, attacking the bill for being too weak, <laughs> and saying that, that that the Georgia Republicans have sold out. Like again, this what's this is what happens. And the Washington Post, I'll give them credit, is try, are trying to be honest brokers on this. They're they are waving the flag, saying, "Hey, this stuff's not right." But man, once once that ball starts rolling, it's it's hard to stop it. And now you've got you've got CEOs and businesses who are making asinine, completely false statements because not not because of, of ill intent. They just don't know any better. And they bought into this lie that they've been sold. And it's just it's it's astounding. Well, I think for me, the most concerning part of the Georgia bill is, um, you know, pushing more of the authority away from um, these boards of elections and the secretary of state and into the hands of the legislatures. I think um, that that is what keeps me up at night because, um, you know, the Georgia secretary of state showed a lot of courage uh, standing up to Donald Trump uh, in fight of threats and um, pressure and said, uh, there's no evidence of fraud here. I mean, had had that been taken away from him and bounced to the legislature, um, you know, if enough states go that way, and you know, we had Michael Adams on before, and and he's trying to reclaim uh, back some of the authority that this that the Republican legislature took away from the Secretary of State and sort of a vengeful move as Allison Grimes was on her way out the door. Um, so uh, that's that's the part uh, that scares me the most, truly. Well, and, and, that, and that is a that is a rational, well-reasoned <laughs> uh, uh, reason to oppose it, um, as opposed to Joe Biden, who says closing a polling place at five o'clock when people get off is uh, people just get off is wrong. That's not in the law. Uh, the whole thing about about uh, it's sick, Biden said, deciding in some states that you cannot bring water to people standing in line waiting to vote. That is false. Not true. Like you know, there there is most of the reason that these people, whether it's Major League Baseball or, or or Coke or Delta or whoever, most of the reason these people are attacking the law is not a well reasoned, at least debatable, debatable opposition. Like you just phrased, it's it's based on falsehoods. It's based on lies that are being sold by people trying to raise money. That's what's going on here. We, you know, we go back to to scummy consultants. It's based on people telling lies, trying to raise money. That's what's going on here, and and it and it's it's now it's it's having real world economic effects. Ah. Yeah, it's a tough one. Speak, speaking of liars, before we get off here, uh, I think we need to talk about Matt Gates. Oh my God! Do I mean, talk, talk about someone left with not a friend in the world. <laughs> Even Trump won't, won't defend this dude. <laughs> I mean. When you and when you look at him, I, when you look you at know, him, back too, to, I just have to go ahead. The, the look on Tucker's face when Matt tried to back the bus up over Tucker Carlson was like where it was it for me. When you look at Matt Gates, you just think like scumbag. I bet he, I bet he sleeps with seventeen-year-olds. <laughs> he just oh a thousand percent. Uh, I don't think we need to say much more about him except for good riddance. Um, just the last, depraved. The last, the last kind of national news story I've got is uh, as I went ahead and, and I had pre-ordered both the hard copy and the audio version of John Boehner's book. 
Oh my uh, god, I want to listen to the auto audio. The, I, I'm hoping that they keep the the outtake cuts in there. You know, he 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 tweeted a bunch while he was recording it, and like it's literally pictures of him in front of a microphone with a glass of a, a glass of a, a Merlot and a cigarette. Like I'm t- I'm recording my, for my book, and <laughs> and I don't know if it, if anyone has heard the leaked audio clip. But it's literally him just like talking about something, you know, some kind of like noble, noble philosophy of government. And then he just stops. Oh, and also Ted Cruz. Fuck you. (laughs) I I love this so much. Like so, so much. Now, I love a lot of a lot of uh, liberals and Democrats trying to be like, well, he's just trying to trying to to soften up his own image, you know, reshape his own image. That's not really. And he is. And he is. Both but, but, of these things can be true. I but still enjoy this greatly. But I'll tell you this: I, I the, the excerpts that I've read and the audio clips, and I've been around Boehner a couple of times. Like it, one hundred percent sounds like him. Like he absolutely. Is, and and even Obama has always said, you know, he Boehner kind of got held hostage by both ambition and his caucus. But he always he, he never felt like Boehner was a liar. He always felt like he was in it for the right reasons as an honest broker. And and he is Boehner's dude. He, he grew up just like working as a bar back at his parents bar i mean he's not like some sort of silver spoon uh uh country club republican it's uh, it's it, I, I am very 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 excited for this book um <laughs> multiple things can be true uh yes he is trying to recast his image and yes i can still find deep entertainment about i look i just enjoy somebody who has who makes great usage of of the f-bomb frankly <laughs> and and Boehner is one of the one of the he, master class one of the best of our of of, <laughs> of, of the current generation of politicians yes. um <laughs> I guess the last couple of notes I've got, uh, Keeneland's back. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I think that they're, you know, they're severely limiting, uh, limiting attendance. Uh, it is open for, for people both in the clubhouse and in the, in the general mission. But I mean, it's my understanding is it's pretty much sold out and they, and they raise the ticket prices considerably. I think they're like 25 bucks to get in now. When, I mean, I remember, I remember when, if you were a fake County resident, it was free. Uh, so, uh, but Keeneland, but Keeneland is back. Horses are running. I'm actually going out there tomorrow. I'm going to be a thoroughbred club and then uh, mosey over to the track. And, uh, and then my, my favorite, one of my favorite weeks of the year, Stephanie, with the national uh, championship game on Monday. And uh, starting tomorrow is the Masters. Oh, yes, the Masters. Unlike any other. Um, and if you want to have fun, folks, uh, go to website grindcitymedia.com. Um, they have a, uh, uh, it's, it's a, it's a sports uh, talk channel out of Memphis. Um, they have a radio show that comes on. I, I want to say it at 10 or so in the morning. That's hosted by actually a guy who hosts a podcast. I really like called the mismatch. It's on the ringer network about NBA basketball and Chris Vernon, uh, but the Chris Vernon show they do <laughs> on two Thursdays and Fridays. They, he does a master's update while he's on, while he's on air. Uh, and it's, <laughs> he does this like really cheesy kind of a uh, Jim Nance intro, like, you know, fathers and sons, pimentos and cheese, a tradition unlike any other, the masters. And then this Wiz Khalifa song starts blaring and he goes into this like five minute long rap routine of what's going on at Augusta. <laughs> and, and it's, you, you have to see it to appreciate it. Just go, go uh, look up, get on, get on YouTube and look up, uh, look up uh, Chris Vernon masters update. It is, it is probably my favorite thing I got turned on to in the entire last year. I was watching watching a bunch of them last night to get fired up for it. It is it is hilarious. It, <laughs> I mean, it is 
I'm 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 literally watching a live stream of a sports talk show out of Memphis just to catch the the Masters updates. It's it is that it's that good. I would I would go check it out. Uh, anyway, I guess the only thing. One I more. Have... Yep, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, sir. I no, was going to make one one more plug. Uh, should be required reading. Um, for everybody, Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting has a great piece out this week by Graham Ambrose. Uh, Kentucky's budget shrank. These informal foster parents were left with nothing. Um, this is something I'm, I'm familiar with. I serve as a uh, foster care review board uh, member. It's an independent citizens review panel, and um, all the counties have them. We review some of these foster cases. Uh, but basically, the, the piece points out, you know, there have been long term, long running issues related to kinship care. That is when um, family members take in um, children rather than them being placed in, um, you know, independent foster homes. And there has been a long battle over whether those folks should be compensated and for how much. Uh, but it's a really great piece about the confusion uh, that's that's now sort of miring the system um, and the lack of funds. And my God, just pay these people to provide good homes for these kids. Anybody, anyway, go read the story. Another good piece on KYCR.org is a a piece on Kentucky prisons, Kentucky prisons, coronavirus defense is is failing. That's definitely worth a read as well. You'll, you'll, you'll be outraged. Um, Kind of a show update. So, you know, we started, Tom and I started last year doing two shows a week. Once the pandemic hit purely because we were bored, we were shut in and bored and it was something for us to do. And it was entertaining. We had fun with it. Um, you know, now things are starting to open back up. There's more stuff going on in everybody's lives. Uh, legislature is mercifully out of session. Uh, so we are going to drop back to what the name of the program actually is, Kentucky Politics Weekly, and drop back to uh, a weekly podcast. We're going to be taping on Wednesdays. Uh, so it should be dropping, uh, you know, midday uh, every Wednesday. Uh, that's not to say that, uh, like originally during for example during the 2020 uh primaries uh we, you know we'll, we'll we'll probably be doing some pop-up podcasts like we did before uh, uh if, if there's if there's a, a big event or we've got a guest that we you know we can only schedule a certain day or whatever we'll, we'll, you know we'll it won't it won't always just be one per week but uh you know we're heading, heading this summer and uh and I, I can say for one stephanie i have my first uh wee ball practice as head coach tonight uh, if anyone has any suggestions on how to coach a team of four-year-old, three and four-year-olds uh, and T-ball. You know please. what my suggestion would be? <laughs> Don't. <laughs> it's it's, 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 it's going to be a barely organized chaos. Uh, I do find it interesting that there are six teams in the league and three of them are coached by center alums who are all at center at the same time. So uh, clearly I, I texted another center alum friend of mine who, who coaches Chuck Cordomach. He's been on the, on the podcast multiple times. Uh, I texted him about that and he said, well, he said, either we're all, either we're all really smart or all very unemployed. <laughs> this just sounds awful. <laughs> uh, it'll be, it'll, it'll be fun. You know, the basic goal of wee ball is to stop is to teach them how not to get killed in the baseball field. So other than that, it's just herding them around the, the, the bases and making sure they're not running backwards. Uh, <laughs> I think that's all I've got for the week, Stephanie. I'm going to go out and pull weeds in the backyard. Uh, unless you've got any, any, uh, final notes to uh to add in all good all right well as always you can get kentucky politics weekly wherever you stream podcasts if you get us on apple uh podcast please be sure to give us a review and we'll be back with you next wednesday on another kentucky politics weekly